Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. I'm Neil Henderson. And I'm Ginger Gottschall. This is part four, and actually the final portion of our series on legal performance enhancing supplements. Now, this episode is a little bit different, Neil, because previously we've gone over the evidence-based, meaning research has demonstrated to a large degree that there are actual benefits, enough data to show, give these supplements a try. This episode is actually going over popular supplements that there is not enough information either on the dose or the outcome for us to support giving you these as something to try. So we might call that an an equivocal uh, series of results from some of these? Correct, correct. But it may or may not. Yes. So perhaps you want to talk with your medical practitioner about these specifics and do some trialing during your training, but in terms of the science behind it, not quite there yet. Definitely. And, and remember, there's a host of things we need to consider. Your genetics, your conditioning, sports-specific training, periodized programs, your mental health, recovery strategies, and nutrition are all primary factors for endurance, athlete development, and performance. Dietary supplements are a secondary factor with the potential to make a minor contribution to success. Exactly. So now I know you have had a lot of experience and discussions with athletes about supplements. So what is kind of your bottom line in this? Yeah, a lot of kind a lot of times we kind of start with the highest thing first of, you know, the biggest ergogenic aids are uh, water, fuel and sleep. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you're not doing the basics right and the fuel part, you know, just your basic macronutrient, you know, carbohydrate, protein and fat, if you're not doing a good job there, all this other stuff has really it, it doesn't matter if you can't get the basics right. Exactly. So concentrate on your big picture first. And once you feel like you've gotten that dialed in and you feel confident about the time that you're putting in training, the various intensities, what you're eating, your sleep strategies, then you can worry about some of the small stuff. Yep. As we say, in some cases, this might be the 1%. If you're not doing the other 90 plus percent to a high degree, then you're probably barking up the wrong tree. Exactly. Now, is it also a concern that supplements could have things in them that we don't know about that could get you in trouble? Definitely. There are some risks. So here's my PSA or public service announcement okay. about Illegal ingredients. There are studies out there that indicate that on average, nearly 20% of over-the-counter supplements contain illegal substances, which will cause a positive drug test, period. Okay. That should alone put a very big cause for concern for anyone out there, and especially because the World Anti-Doping uh, Association's anti-doping code dictates that an athlete is responsible for anything that is in their system. A positive drug test, whether by accidental or uninformed intake, will result in the same kind of prosecution, right. bans, and penalties as a knowing drug violation. So you are responsible for what goes into your body. Make sure you know 
without a doubt, 100% what those ingredients are. Yep. And so you, if you even buy something, it does not, it's not going to say it contains this contaminant. That's the problem. That's the 20%. You buy something that says, oh, it's only A, B, and C ingredients, but it has D and E, which D and E are illegal. You are responsible for that being in your system. So what is reported and what you see on the ingredients list sometimes is not everything. If it results in a small enough percentage, it doesn't need to be put there on the label. Correct. This is our warning. Yep. And the smallest amounts of many of these substances will cause a positive. Exactly. In, In nanograms per picoliter. Like it's incredibly small concentrations. But resulting in the same positive and could result in punishment or bans. Yep. So buyer beware, know the risks associated with taking any supplement that may place you at risk of an anti-doping violation. So Excellent. In best, best recommendations, you know, uh, anything that has uh, specific information regarding its testing and, and what it does contain. So USP, United States Pharmacopeia, as like a vitamin, will ensure that it only contains what it says and nothing more. Excellent. Super helpful. Yep. It's the only thing that you can use with with some level of certainty. Excellent. That can give you confidence. After that... (laughs) Scary (laughs) intro, and I want it to sound scary. Right, right. It's like the total clouds over your perhaps great race result, we are now going to switch gears a bit, which is giving you a definition, a mechanism, a proposed outcome, and just some interesting tidbits and fun facts about seven different supplements. And again, these are ones that don't quite have enough of the science backing not quite enough data in terms of the dose and the outcome for us to recommend them, but something that you might want to think about and talk with your medical practitioner. The first one we're going to talk about is HMB, and it is a leucine metabolite. What's leucine? Leucine is an amino acid, and it's actually the one that has been shown to improve muscle recovery the most. It's found in dairy products. So post-exercise, dairy products are a great recovery, either drink and or food. And the mechanism here for HMB is to stimulate protein synthesis for this muscle recovery. It has been illustrated to show that endurance athletes can maintain a muscle mass when utilizing this supplement and can improve aerobic capacity. It has sufficient data for individuals who are in a state of starvation and or are victims of severe burns, but the data for healthy individuals and or endurance athletes isn't quite there yet. Yep. And that's, I would say you might see some of that in some of the following substances where in certain states where an individual is not healthy or well, that there might be more benefit. Somebody who's already at a relatively healthy, normal level may not see the same kind of benefits. Exactly. In a deficient state, it may actually do significant show benefits. 
next one stepping into are ketones. Ketones have definitely gotten a lot of press in the cycling world. As a definition, basically ketones are chemicals produced in your liver when you do not have enough insulin to turn sugar into energy. Proposed mechanisms and outcomes include replacing glucose as the primary energy substrate for skeletal muscle, to alter muscle fuel preference during exercise by promoting the sparing of your glycogen, which is your stored carbohydrate. Right. So then you'd be using other, you'd be using fat as well as eventually you're getting into protein synthesis. Exactly. And staving, staving off the use of the the carbohydrate as again proposed mechanism as well as potentially improved cognitive performance during exertion and that there's potentially again proposed some improvement or increased rate of muscle glycogen synthesis after exercise. Got it. So we have cognitive performance during as well as glycogen sparing during and then synthesis of glycogen after. Yep. And so there have been a lot of different practitioners and athletes trying to use ketones in different ways. And I would say from what I have observed in terms of different protocols, methods, and what the end results are, it's really difficult to to discern is there an effective utilization because there are so many different ways that they've been tested without a lot of repeats of some of the similar protocols. And so I'd say the the variety of results and the ways that it's been tested and used really say that the consistently available benefit has not yet been proven in that way. And just in terms of personal witnessing of side effects too, I've also had a lot of athletes complain of nausea, getting migraines, low energy, in fact. So be aware, too, that there could be some not-so-positive feelings. You definitely want to to try this out. Yep, and it's uh, not very palatable. No. At all. To put it it mildly. To put it mildly. (laughs) Yes, it's a little bit of the gag reflex coming out. Yep. Now, one of the most popular, I'd say, these days is... CBD. And this is an active ingredient in cannabis. It's so it's derived from the hemp plant. It does not cause a high and it is not addictive. But it is part of the endocannabinoid system, so it has regulatory functions in terms of homeostasis. Therefore, it's helping you recover and prevent oxidative stress as well as inflammation. So there are some potential benefits in terms of these physiological and also psychological with respect to feeling more relaxed and a little bit more in that zen state is what people have reported. Yep. And and CBD is clearly one of the biggest trends in supplements out there. Um, You see clearly, you know, drinks, you know, tea and all kinds of other things with CBD. You have CBD balms of placing, you know, transdermal on on your skin. Um, You have, you know, pills with it. There's a lot of different methods of intake. And so I think that's one of the things in terms of what the results have shown in terms of recovery that it really hasn't been shown to be an absolute yes use of CBD creates improved recovery or improved performance. We actually even uh, did work with a a company 
testing a, an intake of a, a recovery drink that had CBD in it, and we were looking at the the impact on performance in a repeated high intensity effort. We didn't find a clear benefit of the CBD on recovery or improved per- performance, but we also didn't see any negative benefits. So, again, in in a lot of these, there might not be this dramatic change or measurable change observed, but if there aren't negatives in that way, at least, you know, the risk reward is on the lower side. Correct. And then perhaps trying it maybe yeah. have less <laughs> deficit or less scary. Yeah. Perhaps give it a try and see if you see any benefit, whether that's a placebo or actually doing something for you. Yeah. Not as risky. Exactly. And and again, speaking of risk, rewinding back to the early warnings, uh, there are clearly are cases of, of some CBD uh, products that also do have some level of THC. THC is a substance that can cause a positive anti-doping test. And so if somebody is using a CBD supplement, ensure that there is not THC. I've had athletes go as far as testing batches of those sending them away to a lab to be tested as well as performing their own testing after taking those supplements to ensure that they're not getting any THC metabolites in those products um, and in their system. And also just another warning about CBD is that there are different rules in different states here in the United States. So you do want to actually be very clear about where you live and what those protocols are because sometimes it's legal, but the actual amount is regulated. So Yep. And from country to country, absolutely. There are very drastically different rules. So just because it's okay where you live does not mean that that same thing can be carried across state or national borders. Absolutely. uh, And we've seen that in, in the headlines in the last few months for sure. Next one, we're going to get into our omega-3 fatty acids, you know, basically fish oils of some kind. There are kind of two primary aspects within the omega-3 fatty acids, what we call EPA and DHA. There are much longer chemical names if you want to get into it. Um, Organic chemistry was not my favorite class, so I'm just going to stick with the EPA and DHA uh, side of things. But these are found in basically uh, salmon, different algaes, and krill. And the proposed mechanisms and outcomes are that they're anti-inflammatory that potentially can improve endurance capacity, reduce muscle soreness, and enhance recovery. Um, I would say that, again, from a day-to-day basis, the evidence isn't maybe terribly strong in that, though there may be one possible area in a post-recovery post-concussion recovery protocol, that higher intake of omega-3 fatty acids, especially with the EPA and DHA and certain ratios at a high enough dose may be improving the recovery from concussion. Again, Again, we are looking at a state where you are in a deficiency or in a place where adding this could do more benefit, but healthy endurance athletes may not And the doses required are very large. So again, consult with your physician. If you have a concussion, this is not a self-diagnosed thing. You want to work with a neurologist or neurological specialist in assessing how you're recovering from concussion. I had this a couple years ago myself, saw the neurologist and had uh, recommended EPA, DHA, 
DHA omega-3 supplement that I had at a pretty high dose for several weeks following. And, you know, I didn't do a placebo with myself of getting a concussion and not taking it, but I did feel that I recovered reasonably well relative to the severity of injury that I did have. Excellent. And again, that was a prescribed dose. Correct. And protocol. Next up is menthol. And an example of menthol would be peppermint. These are natural herbs that topically could give you an anti-inflammatory, antispasmatic, antioxidant, and vasoconstrictor effect that would assist in recovery. Another interesting outcome of these menthols is actually a decrease in blood lactate. Personally, in athletes that have used this that I've worked with or coached haven't actually gotten this benefit as specifically a blood lactate, but topically post-workout or heavy strength training has given a little bit of relief and relaxation. So again, maybe not huge with respect to performance. However, if it makes you feel good after and isn't doing anything in terms of side effects, then Yep. And I've seen, you know, you probably have seen some athletes maybe put uh, some of this on like in a cotton ball and put it in their nose while they're warming up for a time trial or something like that to have a little bit of a cooling sensation. And again, whether there's any actual benefit, but if there's a little bit of a placebo, if you feel like you're getting into, you know, you're getting ready to do something and that's part of your process, then there can be just that little bit of benefit that you have a, this is how I do it. And this is what I get ready to do before I perform this kind of thing. Next thing we're going to get into are polyphenols. And so these are basically uh, plant compounds. They come as extracts, juices, infusions, or even just from an increased intake of polyphenol-rich foods like berries, flaxseed, chestnuts, olives, artichokes, tea, etc. Um, the proposed mechanism and outcomes are about reducing that oxidative stress and decreasing inflammation, as well as to then uh, have a net reduction in muscle damage. An example of a polyphenol is resveratrol, and this is something that's found in red wine. For those of you who know me, I uh, do enjoy a little bit of red wine. And, you know, if there's a little resveratrol that may be providing me a benefit, that's fantastic. Though, if you actually read deeper and look at the amount, um, it would take about a thousand glasses of red wine. So there's about four glasses per 750 ml bottle. So 250 bottles. Uh, so that's like 20 cases of red wine required to get the kind of dose of resveratrol that is actually associated with some of these uh, antioxidative stress results. Um, and so while I do enjoy a little bit of wine, uh, I don't take in enough wine to get the resveratrol benefit. No, absolutely not going to happen. Maybe in a five to 10 year period. <laughs> Over an extended period of time, which there would have to be a lot of controls being run to, uh, uh, to, to study something over a five or 10 year period like that. Yes, probably not going to happen. But, but I'll do my part. I will continue with my uh, frequent uh, polyphenol intake in the form of red wine. Excellent. And feel good about it while you are throwing it back or in sipping it back, I'll say. Yes, yes. Enjoying it. I love it. 
The last one is antioxidants, and this is a very broad category, but it includes vitamin C and E as primary as well as tart cherry juice. And antioxidants are molecules that fight free radicals. I'm really into this free radical concept. And what they are are compounds that cause harm when there are too many of them in the body. So antioxidants can bring that level down. What happens then is you're reducing the oxidative stress. Therefore, you can have improved training because of enhanced recovery. It can stimulate the stress-related signaling pathways. So therefore, you know, a little stress is good too much, not so good. So antioxidants help with the homeostasis of this. They can stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. So it's helping those tissues that are related to oxidative capacity and decrease inflammation. You can find antioxidants in fruits and vegetables, and it kind of goes into that same category that Neil was talking about with the uh, berries, nuts, teas even, et cetera. So a good thing to keep as primary food groups in your basic nutrition, but can also do some real help with respect to the stressors that you've put on in your endurance, high intensity and strength training. Yep. And interestingly, I've heard a a few folks talk about this, the, the thought that in certain cases, when you're training hard, you don't want to have excessive anti-inflammatory because there are some positive signaling adaptations to stress. And then there's periods of time where then you want to kind of have an increased intake. So it's not always about staying completely topped up at the maximum level of anti-inflammatory that in fact, some cases you do want to have. Exactly. You want that training stress to provide the benefit. So therefore... It's a balance, as is anything. So there is too much of a good thing in this case. Absolutely. So I think that brings us to about the the end of this episode. And this series, sadly, four parts that give you five different evidence-based supplements, and then this last one illustrating some that are quite popular and you may have heard of or are even using but not quite enough evidence to give a dose and a primary outcome for healthy endurance athletes. We do hope that you're able to take away some information on these legal supplements that may or may not be useful for you and that knowing more about them will help you be a better and more informed endurance athlete. Thanks for listening to the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo.